I'm only human after all And you're only human after all Don't put the blame on me Welcome to Ponder Exchange, a podcast about Christian faith and armed service hosted by me, Brother Logan Isaac. First Formation is spiritual exercise for high church lowlifes looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join us every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a winged child with its mother. My soul is like the winged child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, This is how how I will break the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go, tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars only to forge iron bars in place of them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put an iron yoke on the neck of all these nations that they may serve King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and they shall indeed serve him. I have even given him the wild animals. And the prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am going to send you off the face of the earth. Within this year you will be dead, because you have spoken rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. For in the first place the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Although everyone is a liar, let God be proved true, as it is written, so that you may be justified in your words and prevail in your judging. But if our injustice serves to confirm the justice of God, what should we say? That God is unjust to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my falsehood God's truthfulness abounds abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not say, as some people slander us by saying that we say, let us do evil so that good may come? Their condemnation is deserved. morning and welcome to the sixth Tuesday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey in Knoxville, Maryland. 
This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 131, Jeremiah 28, and Romans 3. Uh, the We continue in the book of Jeremiah, even though we're kind of skipping around a little bit. Um, the episode that we have is this uh, moment when Jeremiah is uh, told by God to go walk around with a, a wooden yoke around his neck as a symbol that Israel would be under the yoke of Babylon for, I can't remember if they give a timeline. And Hananiah, who is a prophet, um, but in this instance has um, not prophesied what God has, has wanted, he comes and breaks this wooden yoke, and Jeremiah like kind of wanders off with his tail between his legs or something. Then God tells Jeremiah, look, go tell Hananiah that, you know, I know what he's done, and he's going to be dead within a year because of it. Um, and sure enough, the, the passage closes with uh, Hananiah dying in the seventh month of that year. Uh, and then in Romans 3, um, the uh, what really stood out to me and what um, uh, makes me think of the earlier passage is um, the last verse, Let us do evil so that good may come, that condemnation is deserved. Um, and Paul is putting words in other people's mouths to make a point. Um, he says that some people say that Christians believe that we do evil in order to do good. And Paul is saying, no, they deserve condemnation because that's not true. And when I was um, thinking about, when I was in the military trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian soldier, um, this passage stood out to me. Um, and I remember, I think I even quoted it in my CO application, uh, my conscientious subjector application. And uh, the there there is this idea that we have to do evil in order to do, to do good. Um, we see it come up in movies and film and, and even in conversation. Um, the greatest good for the, the greatest number sometimes requires that we do things wrong to the minority. Um, and that is... That's why we have a republic, a republican democracy or representative democracy, because even minorities are supposed to be represented. It's not just the majority of people uh, that that from whom we drive our power in in our political system here in America. Um, but I think that sentiment plays out in even more kind of subtle ways. The idea that the ends justify the means. In order to, you know, combat terrorism, we drop a couple of bombs on people and collateral damage continues to mount. And we say, well, you know, the greater good for the greater number. Um, we, we have to stop terrorism, which is good, but we have to do evil in order to do it. We, we have to accept that civilians, non-combatants will die at our hand. Um, and I think that is a significant problem. However, I also think that there's a, a very real danger of assuming that it's an either-or, that good and evil are, are black and white. Um, as I said earlier, evil is the absence of good. Evil and sin, they don't exist. Talking about them is only helpful so long as it um, names the, the thing that we lack. So sin is like cold, is the absence of heat. Um, and just like darkness is the absence of light, there's no such thing as darkness, there's no, so, no such thing as cold. 
It is the absence of the thing. Heat is the thing. Light is the thing. Um, virtue, goodness, that is, that's the thing. Um, and the amount of the thing, the goodness, the heat, the light, that is a scale. There is no, it's not a switch like it's on and off. There are shades of gray. Um, there is no, I mean, I think there are things that are much more uh, on the black side of the spectrum than the white side um, or the, the, the non-good side of the spectrum. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that because I regret having this passage in mind as I think about what it meant, or as I did think about what it meant to be a Christian soldier and the decisions I, I made, which you can read about in Reborn on the Fourth of July. Um, but rather, um, this this tendency to try and clump everything together and to do one thing as opposed to another, um, which I don't think is is usually possible. I don't think it's I don't think it's nearly as possible to do, to, uh, for example, um, to do no harm, the, the Hippocratic Oath that doctors take. I mean, you do do harm. You're doing harm to the body if you cut them open for a surgery. You're certainly doing harm if you pull a tooth. That shit sucks. Fucking, that's harmful as shit. Um, but it's, it's what harm you're doing. Are you aware of it? And are you, um, what purpose does it serve? Pulling out a tooth because you're a fucking vindictive psychopath, that's bad, right? But pulling a tooth because you're a dentist, that's not nearly as bad, even though it is still bad. I mean, you shouldn't have to have a tooth pulled because, you know, hopefully you brush your teeth and floss and um, don't have any jaw problems, I don't know. Um, and so we, we tend to, eat, to say something as all either or. And I think that's really misleading, especially when it comes to war um, and soldiering. One of the first things I, I realized was that I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was exactly that I was guilty of. Um, progressives believed that my being in the service was somehow sinful, and conservatives felt that there was nothing that I could do to commit sin. I mean, that's the, that's the fallacy of just war theory as it's used in the modern era is that it's trying to justify a sin. But we don't do that. We repent of the sin. We confess our sins. And if we want to believe that it's all or nothing, um, to use the just war example again, um, we should and must confess and repent of the bad things we've done, including killing people. Um, and if we, we will not do that if we believe that we have no need to repent of it. Um, we won't turn from our ways if we've told ourselves that there's no need to. If, if that, in fact, the ends justify the means. That in order to do good, a little bit of evil must be done. Um, and I'm, I don't feel as though I'm disagreeing with Paul. Um, I think we read that passage, I read that passage um, initially, as this kind of like stark condemnation of the idea uh, that that the ends justify the means or something. And I think that's just a little too harsh of an interpretation. And I think Paul is, is, can be quite stark and polarizing. Um, I think it's much more um, accurate and healthy to say, look, there's a, uh, uh, a spectrum 
within which our actions fall. Um, and there's a spectrum within which um, we understand, you know, the actions of others and how they fit into, how our actions fit into, you know, um, what is going on around us. Um, you know, like um, the, uh, the idea that I was supposed to be guilty of something um, or within that idea, I tried to figure out what it was. And I, one of the things I realized was like, this is a social thing. This is a social, a collective action that I have a small part in. Um, and so my, my participation in this, um, um, you know, thing, uh, sin or evil or war or whatever, um, is not, it's not as clear cut as a lot of people want me to believe and I think a lot of people wanted to believe and so there's these I think it's better to think of it as a spectrum of uh, of uh, I lost my train of thought um, uh, rather the the problem isn't that we do sin or we don't do sin but there's uh, there's a little bit of sin in a lot of things we do um, whereas I think we want to believe that you know it's uh, it's it's much more clear and clean and distinctive. Um, and what the train of thought that I lost was like the the difference in the military between a sniper and a cook. Like there's there's a lot more evil that a sniper has to do than a cook. Um, and too often we clump each of those two together. Civilians do. The world does. Um, and we just assume that they're morally the same thing. Um, which, if you think that good and evil are kind of either or, and you, you maybe don't have the highest view of the military, which a lot of progressive Christians don't, um, and I think progressive Christians are kind of... They, I think they have more power, social power right now, than conservatives. But anyway, um, I think that leads you to the false conclusion that, well... I served in the military, and therefore I have done sin, or I have done something wrong, and that's simply not the case. Um, everybody, whether it's the military or, or industry or, or commerce, um, there are spectrums. You know, the, the the banks that took bailouts and gave their CEOs bonuses, like that's a lot worse than say, you know, a, a small business, a benefit corporation that's like, you know. Uh, giving away a pair of shoes for in Africa with every purchase in the states, like there's a problem with that business model, but it's not nearly the same scope and scale and problem of the big company taking money from the government and also paying its CEOs, you know, massive amounts of money. Um, I think it's I think it's just ridiculous to try and apply this totalizing um, theology or ideology. Um, to the military. I think it leads to the false idea um, in Christianity, but also, importantly, in the minds of some veterans who are depressed and who uh, don't have the, the tools and resources to think about some of these things um, uh, in more complex and nuanced ways because, um, I, because the world doesn't. So I think rather... Um, the uh, the takeaway um, I think is that that you know the was it Dempsey or I think it was Dempsey or Mullen one time gave a speech when I was in seminary 
Um, and he said, and he, was, he, was, he grew up Catholic, it was Dempsey, Martin Dempsey. He grew up Catholic, um, and he later sat down with me for a class that I was giving on the virtues of war. Um, and in this talk, um, he said, you know, and he was aware that Duke was largely pacifist. He wasn't speaking at the, he wasn't speaking at the Divinity School. Um, he said, you know, I've, I've heard it. I, I, I know that um, it's really convenient to think, uh, you know, of, of what's wrong with everything that we're doing and, you know, across the world or, you know, um, to, to stand back and criticize the decisions of policymakers and kind of these high-level decisions. Um, but if there's one thing I learned, that the closer you get to these things, um, the, the less you see black and white and the more you see shades of gray. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's a really helpful way to think about it. The closer that you get to some of these things that happen on the ground or, or behind closed doors, the more you, I hope, uh, appreciate how complicated things are and um, the, the conscientiousness into which some of these decisions are made. And just because we don't see those, uh, that calculus, we, we tend to kind of throw, uh, throw them into one box or the other. Um, and I think that soldiers and veterans are, are, uh, I think that happens to soldiers and veterans in a world where this military civilian gap is so wide that Typically, the church, Christians, without an intimate understanding of the military, stands back and assumes that there aren't any shades of gray, that we can put people in one bucket or the other. Um, and I, I think that's quite dangerous, and I'm, I hope that my listeners, whether they're civilians or um, military families, um, you know, are not only able to see the military as complex and, and nuanced, but also some of these other things that we um, sometimes uh, aren't as intimately familiar with, um, like I don't know, Black Lives Matter or um, something like that, where we we should re- withhold judgment until we know the thing that we are looking at and talking about, whether that's uh, something that we want civilians to do for us in the military, or it's other communities um, that that we have some reservations about that we don't know as much. As, as we could or should before we start kind of leveling our, our, you know, our spiritual weapons at. The Prayer in Times of Conflict from the Book of Common Prayer. O oh God, you have bound us together in a common life. Help us in the midst of our struggles for justice and truth to confront one another without hatred or bitterness and to work together with mutual forbearance and respect through Jesus Christ our Lord. 